Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. You're alive. How long this time? Thirteen days in isolation. Impressive. The Force gives me all I need. The Force? The dark side. My master. Masters and Padawans to episode 186 of Full Sith. I am Mike Pilot, and with me, my co-host, Brian Young. And we have a special guest host on with us today. And Brian, this is your idea for today's show. Not like it's a bad idea, but we were, we were discussing things we were going to talk about today. And Brian pitched this idea, and I said, this is great, but I, I'm not really like the expert on this. And you're like, well, I have an idea. So pitch today what we're doing and who our wonderful guest host is. So we're going to be talking with uh, Saf Davidson, who you've probably heard her voice in fandom on a whole bunch of different podcasts, and she'll tell us about those in a minute. And uh, we're going to talk about like board games, role-playing games, and, and uh, just gaming in Star Wars like as it, as it is now, and what we'd like to see out of it, and what we've seen out of it that we really like. And uh, we, we're going to kick off with a conversation about Wedge. But first... Um, Saf, if you want to introduce yourself and tell people where they might have heard you before and where they can see your stuff and where they've where they've seen your stuff. Yep. Cool. Hello. And also thank you for having me on the show. You guys are really cool. Um so I'm Saf. I am around in heaps of places. I'm easily found more readily on Rogue Quadron, which is um a podcast reading through the Rogue Squadron books. Um Toshi Station, I do a lot of stuff over there. And I frequent sometimes um making star wars podcast now this is podcasting and sometimes i podcast a podcast sometimes i blog on there as well um i just i kind of just get around everywhere because i love everyone and i love star wars a lot see i like i like that positive attitude i like the working with everyone attitude like we'd love to do crossovers and we love working with everybody we you know the positive fandom and positive you know being there with everybody. But I do have to go back to something you just said about thank you for having you on. Well, first of all, thank you for being with us. And second of all, it was on very short notice, and we appreciate that as well. It's all good. So the first thing we ask new people when they come on the show uh, that we'll we'll start with, and then we'll get, since you're on Rogue Padron, I'm sure you have lots of things to say about Wedge. Um, But what was your first experience with Star Wars that you can remember? So my first experience would be um, my family and I used to go visit our family friends who lived like relatively far away from where we were. Um, and so we'd often end up crashing at their house. And I was really young, super young. I was like three or four at the time. And so when the, par- the adults were all talking, they would just sit me down in front of 
the VHS of the original trilogy and just leave me to it. And I would just watch Star Wars. And I was too young to really register what was happening or understand the movies. But I just remember being really enthralled by Obi-Wan and by Leia and I think Chewbacca. But I was scared by all the puppets as well. So I didn't like Yoda that much when I was a kid. But I, I still just remember. I don't remember much from the age, but I do remember watching Star Wars. It's funny, you know, when I was younger, the puppets didn't bother me. But as I got older, the puppets are what scared me the most. I've always like, been scared of them. So it was just it was just a thing. So does that, I mean, like, since there's, uh, so you were probably grateful for the digital switch to Yoda and Attack of the Clones? I really was, yeah. Yeah, no, I really like the, the digital Yoda a lot. I like that they can make him dance. Yeah, well, you, got, yeah. you got a lot from digital Yoda that you wouldn't have been able to get from you know, the puppet, but I mean, that fight with the Emperor would have been quite different. And Dooku. Yeah, and Dooku. Yeah. I mean, do you remember, I mean, remember the first time you saw that fight with Dooku and he's just, you know, he's just coming into the room all slow with his cane and next thing you know, he's somersaulting, bouncing off of stuff and he's all over the place and you're like, I I don't want to swear, but you're like, damn, I did like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I about lost my mind. (laughs) Did you come in? before the special edition then or was that after and and so like you're really more prequel generation ish yeah i'm largely prequel generation because i was too young then to entirely catch on to what was happening and i think those were the original versions Mm -hmm. um because they were quite old um but the versions i know well because i actually remember them are the newer ones um but the prequels came out at the perfect time to catch me at the right age to really get me into star wars and I was so obsessed with being a Jedi when I was in primary school, which is um the first eight years of school here. Um, and I just, I loved it so much. And so the prequels are very special to me because they're what got me back into Star Wars. So who, if, if you were obsessed with being a Jedi, who, was, who, would you, who would you look to as your favorite? Definitely Obi-Wan at the time. At the time? What about now? Probably Ahsoka now. That makes sense. Yeah. Everybody loves Ahsoka. She is amazing. Um, so I want to talk about Wedge a little bit uh, because we had, over the weekend, Wedge's debut on Star Wars Rebels. And I don't want to get into too much detail about that episode because, I mean, the episode is called, the title is The Antilles Extraction. But I know a lot of people aren't caught up, so I don't necessarily want to get into spoilers on the episode. But I want to kind of talk about everybody's impressions of Wedge in general and where you first encountered Wedge. And, and Saf, I'm interested in your perspective, especially since you're doing an entire podcast about Mike and, and Aaron's books, uh, which are books and authors very close to my heart. Uh, and Wedge, that makes Wedge a character close to my heart as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering your first, like, when did you realize Wedge was like, cool? Or do you not think he's cool? I don't even know. <laughs> no, I totally think he's cool. I love Wedge now. I remember everyone being obsessed with him and me not understanding who he was. I didn't even realize he was in the movie because, um, like I said, I'm a prequel person. So I love the original trilogy, but I don't know much about them. Or at least I used to not know much about them. And I read all of the books like up to Return of the Jedi. But Return of the Jedi is the wrong one. Revenge of the Sith. And then I didn't really know anything after that. So I didn't have much knowledge of characters like Wedge. Um And then, yeah, I started reading Rogue Podron, and I realized that Wedge is an amazing character. He's a little bit of a hot mess with personal (laughs) stuff, but he is hilariously, like, 
lovely to everybody and everybody loves him and he's a great pilot and it's been really cool also seeing him come back in the new canon books as well like um life debt he just he's so similar to how he is in the rogue squadron books there and i love it so much i love when people explain other people as a hot mess that's one of my favorite expressions <laughs> what about you mike i mean you're you're from as we're the the old men yeah podcast, the, the we're the old folks podcast where, where was your first uh introduction to wedge as a character who was someone who was awesome so wedge was very important with the squadron and luke and and an integral part to the rebellion so you know so he wasn't one of the main characters through through the original trilogy he wasn't like one of the integral parts like han solo or luke or chewbacca or princess leia but he, integral he had to kill two death stars and an ad at yeah but you know what i'm saying he's not a main character rhyme <laughs> so i didn't give a lot of thought to wedge until there were like uh the special editions and we saw extra scenes and stuff like that and um not to talk like we said we don't want to get too much into this rebels episode to be quite honest with you i didn't even realize is there in the older books is there i didn't know that wedge was cadet in the in the imperial i think that's something that they've been sort of uh they've they've moved his background a little bit um i haven't read the x-wing books recently enough to remember exactly what it was but i know it wasn't necessarily this but i know in aftermath uh, he had hinted that this was the the case, and they've kind of been moving through that because they said Fulcrum brought him in, uh, and now uh, you know we have some some Fulcrum evidence here in this episode. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know, Saf? Do you remember what how this has changed his background? I'm not as I, familiar with that. I don't think he was an Imperial in the EU, but I could be wrong. I don't remember any mention of it. But there is Tycho, and he was like an Imperial that became a rebel, so it's possible they kind of made Wedge's background Tycho's instead because that was more interesting for the canon, potentially. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought that episode was fun. But for me, the first time I realized Wedge was someone like cool, it wasn't in A New Hope. Because when I watched A New Hope, I always felt that Wedge got way too much credit for the Death Star explosion. Mm-hmm. It was just like, he pulled out like way before they even got to do that. Like he left Biggs to die, but so he had to just leave. And, and it wasn't until empire. Like, I don't, I don't like, I remember him sort of vaguely. He's not, he's not as front and center in return of the Jedi and return of the Jedi was the one I had the most exposure to, but it was empire that made me really like him. Like, I think he has the worst, one of the worst and cheesiest lines in all of Star Wars, and I love it, and I reference it constantly and have since I was, like, eight. But that was, uh, wah, that got him. Like, <laughs> that's probably one of the worst lines in the saga. <laughs> um, but I love it so much. When I, wa- when I watched this episode earlier in the week, I went on to, to online because I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that Wedge was part of you know, the Imperial Academy and, and all that stuff. So I guess that this was updated on the website after this knowledge came out, but it did say that he was known as Ty SS two five during uh, his time at Sky Strike Academy and in, in the Imperial Navy as a TIE fighter pilot and then defected to join the rebellion. So like, like you were talking about earlier, I don't know how much in the, the original canon That's that was 100% rebels. Okay. So that was updated. Um, the books, though, that Mike Stackpole started and Aaron Alston finished, um, those are really good times. 
Um, it, and it's been interesting getting to know Mike. Well, and have having gotten to know Aaron, um, they're very much like they have that hot mess sort of attitude. Not hot mess. Mike was not a mess. Mike is not a mess, and nor was Aaron. But uh, they have that sort of uh, imagine writers as pilots, and Mike and Aaron were like Wedge and Tycho. That's a good way of putting it. Yep. Um, and uh, no, I just I there those books really brought Wedge into a new light way better than his appearance in the Jedi Academy books where he was like, Hey, I'm a construction worker. Um, which I still don't quite understand. Uh, but, uh, which is weird. Like, so in the first Jedi Academy book, like he's, uh, he's running like a crane and finds that machine that Lando can use to sense force sensitives uh, with the paddles on it, like he's like, well, we broke down this wall, and there's this weird Sith interrogation chamber, and I was operating this crane, and it was pretty awesome, and we're rebuilding Coruscant. It's like, why are you doing this, Wedge? <laughs> um, after Admiral Akbar is used as the bus driver to get them there, it was weird. I don't know, like that book. <laughs> that book is weird. Um, but uh, seeing him come together and seeing that 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 pilot situation play out was something that I loved. Those books helped me so much think about how, A, I wanted to play role-playing games, and B, like, I loved the flight simulator games. And and that's sort of our not-too-delicate segue into talking about games. Yeah. Can, um, I, can I just real quick want to add something? I guess, you know, I said he wasn't an integral part, and what I meant was I would just want to re-say again, it was because he wasn't a main character, but if it wasn't for him, you know, taking out that TIE fighter that... Luke couldn't shake, there would be no more Luke, and then things wouldn't happen the way they did. So I guess, I guess, kind of, sort of, it was very... Wedge is, Im- Wedge is important. Yes. I yes. knew what you were saying. I didn't. I don't want anybody, I don't want everybody emailing me and telling me I'm terrible. So, yes, well, that was very integral I will, part of the story. I will refrain from doing that myself. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, But no, like, uh, the gaming, I don't know how if anyone has has kept up and i don't think i've mentioned it much on the show but i've been writing a series of articles for fantasy flight games yeah you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago um but the series i've been running a game at home uh with some friends and with anakin where they're pilots like rogue squadron and we're mixing the fantasy flight role playing game with the x-wing miniatures game which oh, is wow. way more le- which is way more lethal on characters than an rpg is so, like, the turnover of the squadron is pretty accurate to what it felt like in, in the Rogue Squadron books. Um, and, they like, Wedge's experiences there really inspired me to want to tell stories like that. But part of that, too, was the video games where it wasn't until, like, the Rogue Squadron 2 game or 3, whichever one was on GameCube, where I really finally understood the gravity of the situation of the trap that Palpatine set at the second Death Star where you go in expecting one mission and you turn around and there's all those Star Destroyers. It, it made the moment in the movie way better for me. Um, so I'm wondering what sort of connections to the games and the, in the movies and the text and the books do you ha- do you both have uh, like that? You want to go ahead? Yeah, that's a big question. Um... <laughs> well, we've got time. <laughs> um, 
Well, the games, I've played a few of the Star Wars games, more of the recent things, because um, I don't have any old consoles or anything. Um, but I really love the Knights of the Old Republic, um, mm-hmm. the first game, and I like the second game well enough. Um, and I've, I've played that so much. And I think that got me into reading the books, because I just love the lore and everything, because it's a huge, sprawling RPG. And it just gives you the chance to just be whatever you want within the Star Wars universe, and it's amazing. Um, and because of that, I picked up the book set in the Old Republic era, and that's why I've read all the stuff like up to the prequels, basically, is because I got really excited by the Knights of the Republic game. Um, and it's been cool watching how they'll take influence from that game and from those books for the new canon. Like They've never actually explicitly said anything except for Bane turning up in the Clone Wars, but it's been kind of like a really cool puzzle being put together watching how everything will slowly fit into one thing, which I guess is also happening with um, the post-Return of the Jedi EU books as well, but I don't know those very well, except for Rogue Squadron, um, so I'm not watching that as much. But I really just love Knights of the Republic so much because it's so well-written and the characters are so interesting, and it feels so much like Star Wars, even though you're given the choices to do somewhat whatever you want. And I just, whenever I think about it, I just get very happy. You know what's super interesting about those games um, is that they were actually based on the D20 pen and paper Star Wars RPG. Like the the entire engine, the rules they made, uh, like all of the logic that the code works on, they they ripped right out of that Wizards of the Coast game. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that. I was I did uh, an interview with with. Uh, Bill Slavisek, who he was the guy who like he got to name Twi'leks and Ethorians and like for the old West End role playing game. And he got to move over and work on the D20 version that they did uh, with Wizards of the Coast. And he was like, yeah, so they had us like we just made all the rules for that game. And it was built on the, you know, the D20 Dungeons and Dragons sort of version of the Star Wars RPG, which is it's I that's like such a fascinating tidbit to me that, that tabletop. RPGs and the video game RPGs are are that closely related. Yeah, a lot of writers for um, video game RPGs are generally tabletop writers before they get into it. Um, I think Alex Freed was actually a tabletop writer at some point before he wrote for um, The Old Republic. And it's really obvious why, because a lot of RPGs do take a lot of influence from those things. Like um, Dragon Age basically uses a similar system um, to those things as well, which has gotten a a bit bit more um, simplified and refined as time has gone on. But the first game is very much like a tabletop Dungeons & Dragons game, but in a video game. And I think that's why they can be really solid as well, because they've got this massive base of information that already exists, that already works really well and people love. It's interesting to note Alex Freed as well. He wrote the Battlefront Twilight Company novel, yeah. which is sort of based on the Battlefront game, mm-hmm. which I probably play too much of. Um, <laughs> but no, that book actually helped me. That book helped me appreciate the game more because there is like no story in the game at all. None. But uh, the book provided all of that. So I had a lot of fun fighting on Solist all of a sudden. And I had a lot of fun imagining how these battles would go when the Imperials entered the caves on on Hoth oh, or totally. whatever. It's a good companion to it because 
Otherwise, it's just you're on a map and you're running around and shooting things. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex is a really nice guy. We had him on the show, I think. Yeah, uh, you, you go had back him on. and listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I interviewed him. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I just think that's interesting that so many of the writers, you know, Mike Stackpole and Aaron Alston, um, they had come from writing tabletop games and they'd worked on video games a little bit and then they ended up adapting um, the X-Wing books actually started as a license from the video games um, because they had the right to, to the main Star Wars line and I guess they were trying to sell the video games as a license uh, the, the X-Wing versus TIE Fighter games mm-hmm. and that's how Mike got involved because they'd licensed that video game and then he started writing books based on the video games as well. It's oh, wow. a pretty common thing in Star Wars I guess. Huh. Yeah. I've said this on the show a long time ago. My One of my favorite Star Wars games was the one in the arcade when I was a kid. You did the trench run. It was the, the green line graphics. You, you sat in the machine. You remember the, that that game? Which one? The the one you sat in the machine. It was the green line art. You did the trench run. You tried to blow up the Death Oh, Star. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, um, just that original yeah. arcade stand-up machine. I'm very sure if memory serves, it's out of Rancho Obi-Wan, too. They have the, he has there that is. game. Yeah, I love that game. Um. I remember the uh, the one fl- flight simulator game that I had on my Mac in high school, the X-Wing game. That one was a lot of fun. And then you mentioned uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. I liked that game. Um, I, I really liked the, the, the flight games. That's why I really love Battlefront now, because I, I probably play the the squadron game, the squadron section more than anything else on the game. I just really love doing the dogfights and flying around, even though the A-Wings are better to fly and i still love flying the tie interceptors or that's a lot of fun but you know force force unleashed one and two i've i've, I've said a billion times I, I love that game i love the the storyline in that i would love to see that adapted into something else battlefront the pod racing games i love those when they run was that nintendo that was on nintendo 64 wasn't it um i don't like i thought shadows of the empire was the big nintendo 64 one and maybe it was uh, maybe it was in super nintendo or something but whatever that was on that was a lot of fun and then um oh, the Lego Star Wars games but yeah I uh, Battlefront I just um it's been about a month since I've been able to, to even put it on but, Oh that Death Star content uh, yep, is yep, gorgeous that's what I did um Friday night we uh I turned it on cuz I back in near my birthday in July I was on and I didn't purchase the the full all the download the DLC stuff right away and then I saw that back in my birthday, and I'm like, well, I saw the Death Star thing was coming out, so then I purchased all the DLC thing, and then somebody said something last week about the Death Star thing, which reminded me that that was coming, and then, oh my god, dude, that's really awesome. I want to ask you, Seth, and, and, and Mike, I'm interested in your perspective on this, but I'll frame the question differently for you. Um, do you prefer, like, tabletop pen and paper sorts of games or the video game experience, Seth? That's a hard one. Um... I really, really love tabletop pen and paper, but it also very much depends on who you're playing with and the campaign that you're playing, because sometimes it can get a little bit tedious, um, depending on your DM, if they're not an amazing DM. Um, but if you're playing with like really good friends and you have all the collaboration and you have a really fun story going on, that can be amazing. And I love it because you have the collaboration with other people. But on the other hand, I've been playing video games my entire life. So it's kind of hard to pick something other than video games. But again, video games can also vary on how good they are. I think if I'm generally given the choice to go play a game on my computer or go do D&D with my friends, I will probably generally pick D&D 
but it's largely the social component as well as the actual game. And so, I mean, to tell people about uh, of Dyson Droids, though, you, you've played on that as well. How does that work? That uh, We play that, um, like, mechanically or... Well, mechanically, I mean, as far as you guys are all not, or you all are not geographically in the same place, so how does that change the dynamic? But also, like, tell listeners how how that works and what that what that podcast sounds like so that they might go check it out. Yeah, so Of Dice and Droids is the Toshi Station um, RPG podcast, so it's based off of the fantasy flight games, um, Edge of the Empire, something like that. I should know that. I always forget what it's called because there's a few of this, them. Yeah, they've got, uh, which I don't understand. They should just call it the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. But I know I noticed in writing them, it's like Age of Rebellion. No, wait. Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny are like the three oh. distinctly different games, even though they're all the same game. Yeah, they've got slightly different things in them that, um, like, because even D&D has like different books that come out that have different things. So I guess it's kind of like that. But it's all still D&D. Sure. Yeah, it is. And it's, yeah, it, it's kind of annoying because I always forget what it's called. It's either Age of Rebellion or Age of the Empire, and I can't remember. I think it might be Age of the Empire. But it's basically, um, we have our DM, who is our GM, um, who is Tom, who is from Delray, and he is an amazing GM. And so it's just a few of us playing through Star Wars stuff. And it's really fun because he lets us kind of do whatever we want. Just like we have a story we're working towards, but no matter what we do, we're, he somehow makes it work, which is a great part of the Fantasy Flight Games RPGs is because they're a lot less mechanically focused. Like they're still quite mechanically focused, but they're a lot more cinematic than, say, like D&D, which is very, it has a lot of rules kind of dictating what happens and depending on your DM, they may or may not let you actually get away with the crazy things you try to do. But the Fantasy Flight games um, are a bit more streamlined, and so when when you're playing, you don't have to constantly like roll a d20 or something to check what you're doing. And I like that about it because it it feels a lot more like a storytelling engine than other things. Like yeah. everything works, but Fantasy Flight games kind of lets you have more input as a player. I think. No, I think it. I think. That's, I think, the struggle I've had in playing is finding a group of players that are willing to invest in the story aspect of it because yeah. most role-playing games, they're very much dice and rules-oriented, and this asks the player to help tell the story uh, in a way you don't see in any other games. Yeah, and I love that. And so of Dice and Droids is two different groups of about three people um, playing through a campaign, playing through different aspects of a campaign. and it's different. It's definitely different to playing a live RPG game because you can't see each other's interactions and you can't like nudge someone if you're about to do something or anything. Um, but it, it, with Tom, he's really good at directing us and helping us figure out our flow when we're talking to each other. And because um, I, I, my team is with Sho and Jay, who are two friends of mine. And because we both, we're both, all three of us are quite good friends, we manage to talk without really interrupting each other or anything, a lot. Um, and it's not too bad, because you don't entirely need the human interaction, like, in, in the real space, to play these kinds of games. As long as you can talk to each other and still interact in that way, it works. But when you have a group bigger than, I think, four, it starts to fall apart, because it's really hard to actually coordinate what everyone's doing if you can't be in the real space. 
Yeah. Mike, I want to pose it to you this way. I mean, I know you play video games, mm-hmm. and I think you'd probably be into tabletop games if you were given the opportunity, but it sounds like in Philadelphia, that's not, you know, or in, in Pennsylvania, around where you're at, that's not necessarily the easiest thing. But I'm wondering what it is you're looking for you would want to do if you were playing a tabletop game. Like, what sort of game would you be looking for? What sort of people would you be looking for? What What do you want out of an experience like that? So, since we had this discussion at Salt Lake Comic Con, a uh, handful of people in the area have reached out to me and said that they do have their usual games and what they're doing, and and some of them aren't that really all that far away from me, and it could be something that I could do on either a biweekly or a monthly basis. So, I'm actually excited that the uh, the possibility of doing that. I have played RPGs in the, in the past, but it hasn't been Star Wars ones. And and the the allure that I I get from them is, look, I love video games, and I love that I can just throw in a game and I can I can become someone else and and play the you know the campaign and and get involved in like there's old fi- Final Fantasy games where you feel like you are part of the game. You you are so invested into it that even if you're not playing, you're still thinking about it when you're at work. You know what I mean? And I I like this about the the role playing games that I played in the past. I, I like the idea of doing this with with the Star Wars games and what I would be looking for and and want to do. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. I just want to be able to to work with somebody who's a really good a good game master who's able to you know, um, set up the story really well and lead it down a good path. I, I, I like using my imagination. I like coming up with a good character and getting involved. And, you know, that was the big thing back when Dungeons and Dragons was really big when I was a little kid. Like my parents, my, it was my mom more than my dad, but my mom wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't let us do those sort of things because in the news it was taking over and people were forgetting who they were and were committing Which crimes and doing bad a, things. And Another really funny, interesting tie into all of this. Do you know who the industry sent to represent them to combat all of those Satanism uh, allegations? No. Mike Stackpole. Really? He was like the guy who they would send in like if a store was getting attacked like that by local mothers and people in the area that they were like oh this is all satanism mike would talk the store owners through the situation he would go on the news to talk about things and he would keep all of the research uh that he would need to be able to talk capably to deflate all of these arguments to to keep dungeons and dragons as a hobby well see that's pretty cool but yeah i mean so it's just you know using my imagination and, and getting deep into a story that isn't something that i've seen in star wars before not necessarily a book or you know, a video game or anything like that, but something that the the the, the big thing about the the role playing games is. So you have an idea. You have um, like the the ones that I've seen, even the Star Wars ones, is you have a a general story or a set of characters, kind of that you're playing with. But it, it's like a choose your own adventure book. It can be different every time. It's not you could play that game several times and you're never going to have the same outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. So th- that's what I think is cool is is you're investing your creativity and your mind into something and and it's always going to be something cool and different so that that's what i would look for i want to ask you both um in video games i think i tend to err on the side of wanting to play the imperials or the bad guys or whatever like force unleashed it was really easy to be the bad guy yeah or in battlefront like the armor is so cool looking that's what i want to run around in right but in the RPGs, I find that I have a hard time playing Imperials unless I'm trying to defect and get out of being an Imperial. 
And I'm wondering uh, what your experience is like that. What sort of games do you prefer? Do you prefer being like, because in a role playing game, you're, you're really thrust into the feeling of being that person. Do you prefer to play someone evil? Do you prefer to play someone who's fighting for, for good? <laughs> I am always super, super good. I'm such a goody two shoes in video games. Um, and when I have to be evil, I always feel really bad about it. So I'm, I can get really into it once I once I get over that first hurdle of like, oh gosh, I'm evil and making bad choices, and then I get really into it. But my first reaction is always to be super good. Like when I played Knights of Republic, my character was like so light side that when I opened up their little stats menu, they just like full on glowed. Um, huh. <laughs> and I pushed all of my as much as I could. I pushed all of my companions to the light side as well, which didn't work as well in Knights of Republic too, which is kind of why I didn't like that game as much. Um, and yeah, when I play like Battlefront, the few times I've played it, I've always been like, no, I have to be a rebel. I have to be on the good side because they're the good guys. Um, and I'm like them basically every game. I, I actually been playing Knights of the Old Republic again on my phone. It's not as easy as it was before, and I don't play it as much. That's um, because of your advancing age, yeah, not I, I, <laughs> with the interface. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> you're probably right. Um, so you're, to answer your question about that, though, I mean, it's it's easy to want to be, if you're playing a Star Wars game, to be uh, to want to be on the Imperial side. So if you're playing Battlefront and you get to be, you, I mean, it's you're told who you're going to be. You're either going to be the Rebels or you're going to be the Empire. But if you're a Rebel, you all look the same for the most part. Or if you're Imperial, you have cool Stormtrooper gear you can buy. Like I've been working towards that, the black gear, the um the Shadow, the Shadow Trooper. Trooper. Yeah, the Shadow Trooper gear. So... I mean, that's cool. You get to be in that. It's You're playing like a tabletop game. I would think, I would imagine like you could come up with some really cool different Jedis and some cool different characters and stuff like that. But I mean, the bulk of the characters that would be in the Imperial side would just be stormtroopers and just lackeys. And I mean, there's only a couple really powerful people that would be on that side. You'd have the Emperor, you'd have Darth Vader, maybe some bounty hunters and a couple of generals here and there. I mean, you don't really have that much of a choice. But I guess you could be creative and make something up, I guess. so. I would really be interested to see the tabletop offerings and even the, the recent video game offerings branch into the prequels. I would love to see some Separatist versus Jedi and clones combat. I would love to see in the Fantasy Flight game. I've got this idea for a campaign I want to run so bad, but it would take so much like homebrew from me. But where one player is a Jedi, one is a Padawan, and the rest are all clones, and it's just like Clone Wars battles. That would be the most fun for a group, yeah. I think, um, or like I would love to be a battle droid in Battlefront. Huh. Like, and I don't know. That would just be really fun to me. I don't know why it is. I mean, if you really think about it, I'm a I'm a good guy, and I try to be a good person and do the right thing, and I'm very empathetic to people, and and I'm not a bad person, but and I don't root for the bad guys, but. In almost every story, book, movie, video game, the bad the bad side always has the cooler designs. They always have the cooler ships, the cooler armor, the cooler bad guy, the cooler, you know, abilities. Hey the Rebels have the X-Wings, which are like the coolest ship in Star Wars. Nah. <laughs> I would I would err on the side of A-Wings or B-Wings. I don't know. I, I really know, like yeah, B-Wings B are good. In Battlefront, the A-Wing is the ship to use. It's fast. You can hardly get hit. It's amazing. It's awesome to in, use. In the Death Star DLC, you can get into a B-Wing. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, man. I have to play that. 
it's hard because you have to fly in and find the power up to become it and then hopefully not get blown up on the way there or <laughs> as soon as you get into it. But yeah, they've got B-Wings flying around in the, the Death Star stuff now. But that was actually a question I wanted to ask of both of you. What prequel stuff, what kind of prequel stuff would you want to see in the video games? Because you hear, is the video game audience really that disinterested in the prequels or is that something that maybe the designers kind of force on it? But it seems like there's a dearth of it. And I want to see more of it. And I'm wondering what aspects of it you two would like to see. I don't think it's a, a fan problem. I think it's a perception problem on the people writing or creating the games that they think that they still have that problem that people have problems with the prequels. So we're going to try to stay away from prequels because people don't like them or they have issues with them and it's just going to cause problems and people are going to complain about it. And I don't really think, I think I, I come across tons of people that would love to see prequels games and, and things set in that time. So things I'd like to see, I mean, I, like you said, be a, a battle droid or super battle droid or that stuff would be really cool. I, you know, when they're in the arena on Geonosis and the, um, now I can't think of the names of the, the three. The Reek, the Ackley, and the Nexu. Yeah, I mean, imagine playing one of those or battling one of those. That would be cool. Jumping on the back of the one that looks like a big praying mantis, what's he called? <laughs> the Ackley. Yeah, that would be badass. What about you, Seth? I love the prequels, so I would love to see prequel stuff. Um, I mean... I definitely think that a lot of it, at least at the moment, is to do with how um, Star Wars has kind of taken on a remaking the EU, or not the EU, but like remaking post Return of the Jedi stuff because of the new trilogy and all that stuff. Um, and so I think eventually games will turn back to prequel somewhat to mine that because there is a lot there for them to use. But at the moment, um, because games are so big and they take so long to make, it's hard to have something that's not coming out that links up with everything else in the canon at the time. Um, and there is, I think, also partly the idea that the prequels aren't good and that people won't care about it. But that is wrong because the Republic Commando books, which went with the Republic Commando game, um, were really big. I mean, there were issues there, definitely issues, um, but they they really loved books. They're really good books too. And I love... It was a really good I, game as well. I haven't played the game i'm gonna be oh. honest i really i need to because i love the books like i have so many issues with the books but i still love them a lot um but i would love to see something like that again with the clones and the new canon because i love the clones so much the clone wars made them such amazing characters and reading the republic commando books made them even better like so realistic and so human and so individual and i would love to see the new canon come back to that and Wouldn't approach that wouldn't the coolest setting for a game be the Siege of Mandalore with Ahsoka and Rex? Yeah. Yes. And you get the clones stuff and you get the Mandalorian stuff. And you, like that has everything that sells a game right there. Republic Commandos, Mandos, and Ahsoka. I like, would love that so much. That would oh. be really, really cool. But, you know, you're, you are right, too. I mean, and, and it's a good thing. It's not, not necessarily a bad thing. Everything going on in Star Wars right now is, is really, really great. I mean, so we have Rogue One coming up. And... Even though we didn't see it yet, I'm I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great things that they could do video game wise with Rogue One, right? Well, um, the next uh, downloadable content from Battlefront is Scarif, mm -hmm. so you're going to be yeah. able to fight on the shores of that Maldives-based uh, beach. Yeah, and then you know, um, Force Awakens was good, and and right now Rebels. I mean, there's a lot of great, great, great storytelling going on in Rebels too. So, I mean. At the time, there's a lot to pull from now, but I, I agree. I think there's a lot to pull from 
from the from the the uh, the prequels and there's going to I guess there's going to be a point when things will slow down a tad and hopefully they'll go back to it but I just wonder if it will ever get to that point if they're going to just going to keep every year there's going to be a new movie there's a really interesting game coming out from Fantasy Flight I'm really excited about because it reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite Star Wars board games um and it's going to include a lot of that game although I like just about anything with Jar Jar in it uh, we're not referring to the Jar Jar Binks game, okay. which is actually, I mean, that Jar Jar Binks game, if I'm not mistaken, is basically just sort of mousetrap where he's getting into various uh, <laughs> things on an adventure in a Candyland style game. You right? know, I don't That's... know, but it's at the bottom of my stairs. I just saw it walking up here. My dad bought it for Anya. It's still sitting at the bottom of the stairs. We haven't opened it yet. He got it for her birthday, but it's sitting down there. I have to look at it. I need to get a, a copy of that. I'll send you um, a picture. But no, it's it's a game that Hasbro put out. Uh, for Attack of the Clones called Epic Duels and it kind of it it um it feels very um you, you have miniatures of uh miniatures of each of the characters and they kind of battle it out on a map uh and every character has their own individualized deck of cards that you use to play their abilities and there's some dice mechanics involved and Fantasy Flight is creating something like that it sounds a little bit like that but it uh, it doesn't use the board of the miniatures, so you just have dice and a deck of cards for each um, uh, for each character, and you buy these blind packs, so you buy the decks of the characters and their dice, so you can you can have Ray fight Count Dooku, or you can have battle droids go up against so and so. You know what I mean? And so they are incorporating that. It's called Star Wars Destiny, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and it's kind of bringing everything together and hopefully that will show them, uh, that will show them that, uh, people want that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask, and, and this is a perspective that I think, uh, Saf, you've probably got, I, I'm not sure, uh, like there's this thing going around in, in fandom about, it, it, we've heard about it for years, like you're not a, a true fan or whatever. There's the, the fake nerd girl or in video games and in gaming in general, there's the fake geek girl or the fake gamer girl trope that goes around as well. And I'm wondering um, if you could offer your perspective about that and what that looks like so that people know that they're not like, so people don't fall into that. Yeah, that is, 100% a thing that happens. Um, I I used to get a ride to D&D um, with my friend who works at a tabletop and gaming like hobby store um, nearby. And whenever I went in there, I was almost always the only girl. And it was very noticeable that guys would just kind of look at me. Sometimes they'd come over and try and talk to me, but they would just say some really nerdy thing and i would have loved to reply but i just kind of stared at them like i don't know what you're saying like it would have been some magic the gathering thing they're like do you do you play so and so and i was like what like genuinely like if you'll explain i'll talk to you and they would just turn around and walk away and i'd be like okay that's fine i don't care um which is one of the more recent things that's happened to me but i used to play a lot of halo online um i'm not particularly great at it i would usually play it well a little bit tipsy as well so um <laughs> probably the I, only I way to play it yeah yeah it, it's really fun playing it with friends like that and i am a bit of a troublemaker in games so i like causing trouble none wrong with um, that. yeah yeah and 
I would also use my mic and just talk all the time. And I would get a lot of people that would be like, their first reaction would be like, oh my God, it's a girl. I didn't know girls played Halo and stuff like that. And like, it's, I never got any bad harassment on there. I think because the moment it would, they tried, I would just shut them down and completely tear them out. Like I don't hesitate when it comes to talking to people online and just telling them to shut up and get out of my face. Um, but it would even be like minimal stuff, just like the, oh, I didn't know girls played games thing or like comments like, oh, we have a girl in the party, um, which are, they seem not that bad. But when you get them a thousand times a day, it's really, really disheartening because Good you're old. like, surely, surely you've played with another girl before because there's so many girls playing these games. Yeah, if, I would think it would get really old. And second of all, you know, so what? It's a girl. So what? So so I, I think this is one of those topics that's really interesting to me. I've got a, uh, she's a 13-year-old girl, Mike. Uh, yeah. You've got she's a daughter. 11. And they want to play games online. What can Star Wars fans do, Saf, in your opinion, to make to make that space better for the younger female fans that are coming up that are going to encounter some of this stuff, unfortunately? Yeah, I think um, a large thing that people can do, especially if it's an online game with microphones, is that if they hear someone that's like could be harassing someone else to step in, especially if they're a dude, because if a dude steps in on harassment, that generally helps stop it. Um, other guys are less likely to continue if they don't have the support that they think they have. Um, but another thing in general, like even if even if someone makes jokes about it, like just they have to step in and just be like, no, this isn't good. Um, and in general so far, I found that Star Wars is relatively good. I haven't ever actually found any harassment in Star Wars gaming communities like too much um, compared to other places. I haven't really gone looking in general, but um, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, of course I, like I go looking for it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't play online Star Wars games as often as like I played Halo. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just like stepping up and not allowing that stuff to happen. But it's also when there are younger fans playing the games, whether female or not, um, like just not just being nice to them, like just not taking advantage of the fact that they may not be so good at the game and giving them hints and helping them out and helping them learn how to play the game can help so much. Having someone who can play the game, who is older and has experience coming along and being like, hey, I can see you're relatively new and I can see you're quite young. Do you want me to show you some ways to be better at this game? And that can instantly get someone way more involved in the game. Because when you're younger, even like now, like kids are so good at games because they grow up with them. But there's still like, when you get into a new game and you haven't played it before, there's so much to learn all at once. And every game is quite different. Um, And I remember when I played RuneScape back when I was super young, um, my first time I ever played it, one person came over and they're like, oh, are you new? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay. And they helped me and they taught me how to do a whole bunch of stuff. And that got me way more into the game, like straight away, because it was just this like older person who was super friendly and like, not in a weird way, in a, in a really nice way. Um, and then they were like, okay, cool. I hope you have fun with the game. And they just kind of left. And I was like, cool, I will. Um, and so I can absolutely say that if you, if you hear like of a young female fan getting into a game, just 100% encourage them in any way I, i'm so happy you said that and i have to share an experience and give you know credit where it's due when battlefront first came out and anya was playing the, the squadron game type i had my headphone on and i was talking to some some fans to play the game and and then i backed out of the the game 
and I was playing again. I left the headphone on, but I didn't wasn't talking to the next group of people. I had the mic muted, I thought, and I thought I had to turn it off or whatever. And then me and Anya were switching back and forth, and she was playing. And again, she just started playing, so she had like two AI kills and like 14 deaths or whatever. And then when it would come up on the screen, you know, after the game, people were like really like going after her. And I didn't know it because she had the headset on her head. And I looked at her face. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, you know, people are saying I should get out of the room because I suck and I'm making them lose. And I'm like, oh, well, that that's horrible. You know, let's just mute people and blah, 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 blah. And then she got out and she went into another room and she was playing again. And then sort of the same thing happened again. And I was going to just tell her to stop listening altogether because people are jerks. And then. Uh, one of the guys, I unplugged the mic, and then one of the guys was saying, because you can hear it over the TV speakers then, he started saying, hey, listen, sh- she's learning how to play, and then he started giving her kind of advice on what to do and, and all. And I thought that that was great. I thought that somebody stood up for somebody playing the game. Like, it was my, my account, so they didn't know necessarily that it was a girl right away, and that she needed some help. And the guy was just saying, like, hey, just back off this kid. And... um here's some advice and here's some things to do. I think that was great. And I think that you're right. I think that more people should do that. Yeah, that is 100% what should happen. So um, another question, like what about in person? What about, what about uh, female fans who want to get into role-playing games in their areas? Like how do they navigate that and make sure that that's not an issue with the people they're, they're picking uh, to play with? Yeah, I can definitely say that there have been a lot of issues um, with harassment and sexism with tabletop stuff. Um, I have a few friends that have talked about it quite a bit. Um, but on the flip side, there are a lot of female fans that want to get into that stuff or are already into that stuff. Um, and so it, I think it definitely is a case of it's it's hard. It can be really hard to find people. I was really lucky that I had friends like already in my main friend group that were starting to play the game. Um, if you can it can work to find friends you already have and just start your own group. Um, mainly just finding a DM or a GM can be the issue there, but also someone can learn how to do it. And that can be a really good way of becoming closer with the friends you've already got. Um, there are also online places you can look. I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I know they exist. There are Facebook groups as well for um, people into that stuff. Um, and if you find find women who do video games or um, RPG game stuff and in your area who are like relatively vocal and ask them, there's a good chance that they'll know people or they'll be able to guide you in the right direction. Um, People want to play games. Like that is a core part of why they do this stuff. But it's hard because there are guys who don't entirely get that it's not just theirs at the moment. Well, it never has been just theirs, but they don't understand that. And I think one day it'll reach the point where they will potentially understand that, especially the newer generations, hopefully. Um, And it'll be so much easier for girls to get into these things without being overwhelmed by guys being weird about it. Um, But like I said, there are girls, there are so many women who want to play these games. And so if you work hard and look in the right places, and I hate that I have to say that so much, you will be able to find people. Um. I, I kind of want to talk about this just really um, briefly because I know we're running out of time and the, the time for this episode has flown by. But this is sort of a microcosm of what's going on in fandom in general, right? Like we have people who seem to feel like we need to create levels and tiers of fans and 
different tiers for female fans of of Star Wars in general, and it's sort of disheartening to me to see that in the fandom because um, I think our job is to maintain an enthusiasm about it. If we like Star Wars that much that we're like part of a community, um, we need to encourage people to make that community as welcoming a place as possible and not try to chase anybody off just because they haven't seen my favorite episode of Clone Wars or they don't like Phantom Menace as much as I do. In fairness to everyone else, I don't think anybody likes Phantom Menace as much as I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, to to talk about this um, from a if you could talk about this from a female perspective, like as Star Wars in general, I mean, what kind of stuff have you encountered in people trying to test the limits of that or or to to do that? And what what can young female fans do or any female fans do to uh, to combat that behavior in Star Wars in general, not just gaming? Um, well, with Star Wars, um, like I said before, like guys standing up or like people who are vocal in the community standing up and shutting down anything that happens can be a huge help um, for anyone, really, and for making harassment not accepted in a particular community, which I think um, at least with Star Wars, like podcasting and blogging community, we've got that relatively well handled. Like, I think that those kind of things aren't really accepted um, in general, like nobody even does that. Um, but in other communities, it is a lot harder to to get that happening. Um, you have to actually have everyone actively involved in making sure that doesn't happen. And for female fans, I myself have had so many times where I'll be at a party or something and someone will be like, oh, that's Seth, she's a Star Wars girl. And some guy will be over me like, oh, what do you think about the prequels and why is Attack of the Clones the worst movie? And I'll be like, buddy, I love Attack of the Clones. Don't talk to me like that. Um, and I think a large part of it is just standing up for knowing that you're a fan, like having that knowledge, like whether or not you only love like Ahsoka and hate everything else, or you are a really big EU buff and don't know any of the actual new canon, um, you're still a fan. You still love Star Wars. It doesn't matter where your level of knowledge is or what part of it you love, you still love it. And having that knowledge and being able to just tell people that you're a fan and that they're being a jerk. Like when they come over to you and they start doing that, you'll be like, no, I'm not, I'm not playing this game. Like they, they have a game and they want to test your knowledge and they want to know if you love Star Wars as much as them. And what I do often, which is such a stupid thing to do, when they start getting all like weird and like technical trivia on me, I'm always like, okay, but how many times did you cry about Obi-Wan? Like, do you really have feelings about this, like about these movies or do you just kind of like not care? And I bring emotional side to it because that I get really emotional about Star Wars and they're still like, well, no, I don't cry about it, but that's dumb. And I'm like, well, you don't care about this stuff then. Like, I kind of just, like, throw it in their face that there are other ways to love things. Um, it doesn't always work. Sometimes they just kind of walk away. But walking away is sometimes the best thing in those situations. And like I said, it's just it's just having that faith in yourself. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes you do just have to remove yourself from a situation or get someone else to come along. Um, but if you can, if you're getting into one of these fandoms or something, find people, again, find people who are vocal in this stuff who are who vocal in the communities who have strong feelings on these things so that they will give you places to look and help you find a community that will look after you. And if everyone makes an effort, like everyone established in a community makes an effort to shut down harassment when it happens and to make these safe spaces, eventually they'll grow bigger and more places will be open for new fans to come in safely. And I would like to personally plant the flag of anyone who needs a safe space to cry about Star Wars because I do, I do that a lot. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think uh, 
we're like out of time, which is ridiculous to me. Like that just blew by. Um, but I want to, I want to thank you. I, this is Mike's job. I don't know why I'm doing it. Mike, wrap this up. Because we're just overwhelmed, Brian. No, um, yeah, Seth, thank you for coming on and joining us. It did go viral fast. I actually texted Brian a few minutes ago and I'm like, I'm having so much fun and I can't believe that we're, we're almost out of time. Once again, I know you did the beginning of the show, but can you tell everybody where they can listen to you and your blog and your website and Twitter and all that stuff? Absolutely. Um, okay. So my Twitter, which is the main place to find me online anywhere is Wanderlustin, which is Wanderlusting without the G. Um, I can also be found on my own site, which is notsafework.com, where I do a lot of writing about um, feminism and Star Wars and other things. Yeah, you should check that out. I was on there last night checking it out. You're a very good writer, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it, that's not because you're a girl. Oh, my God, you're a good writer. <laughs> I just wasn't familiar with your writing, and I read a lot of things on your website, and I was very impressed with your writing skills. Oh, thank As you As a so human much. being. <laughs> Don't make it weird, Mike. I'm making it weird, Brian. <laughs> It's always weird when I'm around. Um, and I also podcast. I podcast at Rogue Squadron. I'm on Toshi Station's um, network. So I do Ace Space there and Western Reaches and of Dyson Droids. Um, I just realized how much I do podcasting. I'm sometimes on making Star Wars, not Nelson's podcasting, but not that often anymore. Um, I feel like I'm also somewhere else, but I cannot remember what. Oh, I'm also You're- on Blaster Cannon, which is a Den of Geek podcast, but that's on hiatus at the moment. Um, pitch your Patreon. Oh yeah. Tell people about also, that. That's that's like a thing. Yeah, I also have a Patreon um where I which is for my main site, so that's for um money that goes to that basically helps me continue writing for my site and so traveling and and getting equipment and just writing in general because video game writing is a very hard job and you don't often get paid because nobody actually has a job for you. Um and so that Patreon you get stuff like photography galleries um previews and like my photo editing processes and also photo curves which you can use to um make photo editing stuff because i also do photo stuff um you also get extra world building and character work from my stories and previews and early access to like all of my writing essentially it's it's just it's lot basically everything i do that is like side stuff that doesn't go online anywhere else ends up on my patreon um and i back it and i would encourage everybody else to but i figured it wouldn't be fair for me to later when mike asks me that question for me to pitch mine without you getting a chance to pitch yours Brian, <laughs> why don't you pitch yours while we're there well uh so people can follow me on uh twitter at swankmatron uh they can find my books at amazon they can find my writing uh blog at uh dot and that way you can also get signed books but I also, uh, you can find my writing at starwars.com every Monday and, uh, my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash swankmotron, uh, is where I put out a short story for people every month. So you can support both Saf and I just by clicking patreon.com once and then finding us both and you can, you can support us both. And I added a new thing on my Patreon this month. So, uh, there's a lot of people I found out don't like to read or they're not as interested in reading short stories. Uh, so I'm actually going to be recording short stories so that uh, at a certain level you can get, you can download me reading the story to you so you could like podcast it like you would full of Sith. Like a fireside Brian Young telling his short stories? Yeah. So if my voice is not obnoxious to you as you're listening to this show, then maybe that might be an answer. If it is obnoxious to you, um, I will say good day to you. Well, if you donate enough to Brian's Patreon, maybe he can get James Earl Jones to do the voice work. Yeah, I doubt it. 
Well, I doubt it. Uh, you know, they could try. Um, if you want to uh, find me, I'm on the mic.com. Everything I do is there. Uh, I also wanted to say two things real quick about Rebels this week, Brian. I don't think it's spoilers, and we don't have to discuss it, but two things to look for in Rebels this week that I thought was just uh, awesome. Um, Sabine does something with her ID. She does the old Nintendo trick where she blows on it like the cartridge. I thought that that was pretty funny. And then um, the um, TIE Fighters, the wings blow off of them like the toys actually do when you play with them too much and then the wings never stay on. They popped off like that. I thought that was pretty funny too. So keep an eye out for that because of the whole episode, which was a great episode. I, I like that nod back to those old toys and making things work by blowing into them. That made me laugh. But if you want to leave the show a voicemail, you can use the SpeakPipe app on our website, which is fullofsith.com. And there you can find our contact information, like our Twitter, at the mic, at full of Sith, at Swankmatron, at Amy underscore Geek, and at Wanderlusting, and not with the G. Brian spelled it out perfectly for me when I was looking for you on Twitter last night, and it still took me like <laughs> 10 minutes to figure it out because I'm an idiot, but I did find it. So definitely uh, find stuff there on Twitter. And then um, also, if you go to Facebook.com slash Full of Sith, you can like us there. And then there's the Facebook group, which I believe is Facebook.com slash groups slash Full of Sith. Go to the Facebook Full of Sith, we'll have the link there. I'll also put it in the show notes. You can find all this contact information in our show notes every week, which are posted on on the Facebook. They're also posted on the website and also posted within the file itself, the audio file itself. They're in there, too. Holocron at fullofsith.com is where you can email us, and um, there's going to be a show coming up soon where we um, talk about and discuss and answer several of these great emails that have come in over the past two months or um, so. Yes, Brian? I would... I would also say we do have the Facebook community group. Uh, so if you search uh, Full of Sith Facebook group, you can find it. Join that. And we're having a lot of these discussions. So some of the mail's kind of getting filtered there. And like Bobby's pretty active in there. So if you have, uh, if you want to get Bobby's perspective on things and we still can't convince him to come on the show, that's a good place to do it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And I would really one last quick plug because I forgot about it. Uh, the second part of the Battle of Naboo for Authentic History is coming out this week. So go check that out. I'll definitely keep it. an eye out for that. So that's a good show, too. Authentic History is on iTunes. You can find that there. And leave a review for them as well if you're getting them from the iTunes. And then if you haven't left a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Store or anything else where you find us, you can do that, too. So, uh, again, I want to say I want to thank Saf for joining us on such short notice this week. Again, we really appreciate that. Um, it's been a busy week for me and Brian, and we kind of had our heads up our butts, and we weren't really paying attention until, like, yesterday afternoon about what we were doing. So you kind of <laughs> saved us from the fire. Yeah, no, seriously, thanks for having me on. This was super fun. Yeah, we're going to do it again real soon, I hope. You'll have the time awesome. to do it again. Cool. Um, so that's it. Episode 186 of Full of Sith for our great guest, Saf, and Brian Young. I am the Mike Pilot, and may the Force be with you, always.
sir, if you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.